again, church. Hey, it's so good to be with you today, and I just want to encourage you again, like Pastor Brian said a little bit earlier, as we just saw Misa testify about her relationship with Jesus, like if you have trusted in Christ, but you haven't yet gone public with your faith, why would you wait another minute? Our baptism class is next week. Sign up for it. You can go to gocoastal.org slash baptism and sign up there. You can fill out the connect card, like Pastor Brian said, and turn it in to me before you leave here today. And we will make sure that you understand what it means, and we will make sure that you get baptized coming up. But why would you wait another minute? Go public with your faith in Jesus Christ. And for those of you who don't know me, I'm Andrew. I'm the lead pastor here at Coastal Church in Chesapeake. And it's so good to be with you again this morning. Going to take out your bulletin notes. And these are these little guys that we give you every single week. Uh, we're the type of church where we like to make sure you take notes and we give some fill in the blanks for you here. But if you are in small group, this is also kind of like your prep for small group. Look, we take what we got to kind of get a taste of on Sunday morning, and then we discuss it in our small groups later on during the week. So this is kind of your cheat sheet for going into small groups, and this kind of helps you prepare for it. But small group takes what we hear on Sunday morning, and then we take it a little bit deeper. Man, we hold each other accountable, and we see how this actually applies to our lives all throughout the week, not just on Sunday morning. We don't want to be just hearers of the word. We want to be doers of the word. And small group helps you do that. So again, if you have not heard yet, join a small group. Take some notes, all right? And if you have a Bible, digital or analog, turn to Exodus chapter 33, where we're going to be today. Look, all throughout this series, we're in week four of this series in Exodus, looking at the call of Moses. All throughout this series, I want to keep asking you this question if this eternal story is for God's glory, what does that mean for my life's story? Look, church, God has been writing a story since the beginning. He is the creator of everything that we see in the world. He is the creator of you. This is the story that God has been writing. In fact, the Bible even says that this God is the author, the founder, even the perfecter of our faith. And I want to keep proposing to you as we go through this series that what Jesus has to offer you is more than anything than you could ever have asked or thought or even imagined. What Jesus has to offer you is life. It is real life. It's even life to the full. But here's the question I want to ask you this week, okay? How did you get here? How did you get here? Look, some of you may have come in either an SUV or a car, or if you're really cool, a minivan, okay? I'm not even asking it in the way that maybe you took 64 here, maybe you took the expressway, or maybe you're one of those people that know all the secret routes around this area where you can avoid all the congestion. And again, why won't you share with me how to do that, okay? I'm not even asking how you got here in that way. But when you think about your life, where you are right now, in this season that you're in, in the moment that you're in, yes, even the place that you're in, have you ever thought about how it is that you actually got to where you are? Because more than likely, it wasn't just by chance. There are literal steps that got you to the place where you are right now. There's this very um, curious and 
even kind of crazy story about this guy who was born in Brazil. His name is Ivanio Batista da Silva. Ivanio grew up in Brazil in an area that was so poor and it was actually so polluted that the area that he grew up in, it was actually called the Valley of Death. And in fact, Ivanio, he was a shoe shine boy and he made money shining shoes. But as his area that he grew up in, this area called the Valley of Death that was so polluted by all the industry around it, when he started to clean up the area and the local officials wanted to clean up the area, he actually built a business off of cleaning up the area and actually made a small fortune. Ivanio wanted to be a king. He always had this idea in his mind that he would be a king. So as he made this small fortune, he started to save up his money, and then he eventually built a castle on the edge of the town. I'm talking about a real-looking castle with bricks and stone and all these turrets around it. But even in his home, he built a throne, he got a sword, and even got this little red cloak that he wears around. In fact, he walks around town like this. Here's a picture of it right here. This is Ivanio. He has people in his town call him King Ivan, and he sits, that's in his house. He sits on this throne in his house, and his wife, who's been married to him now for 30 years, says, I just kind of let him do his thing. Even though I don't understand, I tell him, like, what are you doing? You're not really a king. Even though his next thing that he's going to do, apparently he's going to put a dragon on top of his house, okay? Dragon on top of this castle that he's built. And you may may look at somebody like that and think, man, how in the world did he get there? And Ivanio, as King Ivan, as he likes to be called, he had it in his mind that he wanted to be king one day. So he took all these steps that led to him building a castle, putting a dragon on his roof, walking around with a fake sword, sitting on a throne that has no authority, even a little cloak that has no authority whatsoever. And all the steps that he took actually led him to a distorted reality. Church, I titled today's message, Reality Check. All of us need a reality check. Have you ever thought about, again, where you are right now? Last week, we saw the people of God. They engaged in this great sin against the Lord. In fact, how did they get there? They were caring more about idols, more than about the Lord's glory. As they created these idols, even worshipped them, after 40 days, the people had turned their backs on the Lord, and they suffered great consequences. Church, we saw God's people last week say that what they wanted right now was way more important than what they needed, even wanted. Man, how many times have we been there where we chose what we wanted right now instead of what we really wanted and, dare I say, what we really even needed? Man, we're going to see today that right now that the Lord has them in a place where they did not want to be, but they need to be. And they need to take a moment and evaluate where they really are, how they got here, and even see where they really need to go. Come on, could that be you today? Do you need a reality check? Do you need to see where you really are so you can see where you really need to go? Look, we all need it at some point, pastor included. We all need a reality check. So with that being said, let's jump into God's word today. Exodus chapter 33. I'm going to read the first 11 verses of this incredible passage of God's word. And then I just want to share with you three questions to ask today that will help you see, okay, where you really are, how you got there, but where 
you need to be. Exodus chapter 33, starting in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you. I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Parasites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. But, the Lord says, but I will not go up among you. Lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned. No one put on his ornaments, for the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I will consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. And when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are God and you are good. Lord, you are so patient with us. God, you are kind. God, you didn't need us, but you wanted us. God, you want us to be in relationship with you. God, you want to dwell with us. You want us to be with you for eternity. Holy Spirit, I pray that today you will give us a reality check. God, help us to see how we got here, where we are right now in this season of life. God, help us to see if it's where we need to be. Lord, a place where you are is where we need to be. Lord, a place with your presence, not just around us, but Lord, dwelling in us. God, help us to see if we are really in Christ. If we believe the gospel, God, if we know you, if we're going to be with you for eternity, God, that's where we need to be. God, we need you. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, today for the next part of this series, again, I want to ask you these questions for a reality check of where you are. And here is the first question. The first question is, are you in the right place? Are you in the right place? You know, it's very important for us to ask that question literally. Are you in the right place? Look, some of you right now, you've been stepping into environments, both physical and also digital, that are harming you. And for you, that is not the right place where you need to be. In fact, for some of you, getting to the right place might even involve your digital space that you're hanging in, hanging in right now. For you, getting to the right place may mean that you need to cut off the news for the next three to four weeks. 
Because right now it has you in a place of feeling like there is no hope in the world. It has you in a place right now where you're thinking, man, God has lost control when he is not. So for some of you right now, the best place for you to go is to delete the news. For some of you, the best place to go is to delete TikTok off of your phone. Because right now you've been looking at all the clout that people are putting up just for the clicks. They're putting all those things online, putting up a distorted reality. And you're letting your identity be found in what people are only putting an edited highlight reel. So are you in the right place? It's important for us to ask that question again, not just about our physical spaces, but also our spiritual spaces as well. Come on, are you in the right job? Maybe even are you attending the right school? Or come on, even is this church that you're in right now, is this the right place for you to be in? Look, it's good for us to ask that question, but it's important for us to look a little bit deeper and to examine, look, where we've been and how it is that we actually got here. Look, I really need you to help people next to you understand this, okay? So I need you to turn to your neighbor, and I'm going to need you to repeat after me, okay? So turn to the person sitting next to you, and look, I want you to say to them, look, you look... Oh, my gosh, people. Come on. We do this all the time, okay? And if you're new, again, I'll give you some grace here. But we do this all the time. When you turn to your neighbor, you need to say it with a little bit of energy because you need to help them believe this, okay? I want you to turn to them and say, hey, you look very handsome slash beautiful today. Now, turn to the neighbor who is your second choice and ask him this, okay? Repeat after me. Ask them this. Say, are you... In the right place. Come on, church. Are you in the right place? Man, look what it says here again in verses 1 and 2 of Exodus. The Lord said to Moses, he said to depart from here. Depart and go up from here. You and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt. To the land I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. And he says, I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Hittites and the Parasites and all the other ites. Do you remember where they are in this moment? They're at Mount Sinai right now in this moment. Church, Sinai was to be a temporary stop for the people. It was to be a place where God would lead them to, and in this moment he would give them his law his word, his guidance for life. It was in this moment that they're supposed to receive his word and begin to realize that they no longer had to live under the Egyptian yoke of slavery. It would be here where his word would be given and they should have realized that, hey, we no longer had to live under the bondage of Egyptian idolatry. May God will give them his word, his law, to give them real freedom, to show that real freedom is only found in a relationship with him. Real freedom is found when you only submit your life to the Lord. In fact, 1,500 years later, Jesus said, look, when you know the truth, it will set you free. Church, real freedom, real purpose is found in freedom in Christ, freedom in your relationship with the Lord. But here we see that the people decide to turn their backs on the Lord. And so God is saying, look, this is a temporary place for you, and I'm leading you somewhere else a place to where he was going to give them what he had promised. But listen to what happens here in verses 3 and 4. The Lord said to Moses, look, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. But he says this. He says, but I will not go up among you, 
lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. Look, there is some good news here, and there's some very bad news here. See, the people saw that God was saying, look, I'm going to keep my promises. I'm going to give you this promised land. In fact, still go there to this land flowing with milk and honey. I'm still going to give that to you. But then he says that his presence will not go with them. God keeps his promises, but their sin created consequences. It brought them to a place of discipline. Have you ever been there before? Have you ever been in a place where you're under the Lord's discipline? Look, I know talking about the Lord's discipline is not a church growth message, but here's some indicators from this passage that you might be under the Lord's discipline right now. This is what we see here in this passage. First, we see here that there is some distance when it comes to the Lord's discipline. Look, the Lord says, I will not go up with you, which means that God, the presence of the Lord who had gone before them, who had been right there with them, he says, I'm not going to send that presence with you. Come on, have you ever felt distance in a relationship where it looks like there's this lack of communication? Uh, Some of the joy in the relationship is either decreased or even diminished. And that's the same thing or a similar thing when it comes to our relationship with the Lord. So right now in your relationship with God, like, do you feel some distance? Because you might be under the Lord's discipline. But we also see here that there is a cost the people were to take off their ornaments. Now, it doesn't mean, okay, Christmas tree ornaments, okay, if you were thinking that like I did when I first read the word. It doesn't mean Christmas tree ornaments. Uh, pretty much it means like any jewelry or any fancy thing that they had. You remember the Lord had plundered the Egyptians and given them all this gold and silver and bronze and great wealth from the nation of Egypt. He had given it to his people. And so the people in this morning stage realized, man, we're not even worthy to wear these things. So they took off their ornaments, all these incredible things that the Lord had given them. Look, there's a cost to our sin that brings us under the discipline of the Lord. Um, Charles Spurgeon, who's often known as the prince of preachers, he said this. He said that God never permits his people to sin successfully. Look, church, there's conviction and there's correction. And there's a challenge that comes from the Lord, but there's also consequences when we engage in sin. But then we also see that there's a removal of his blessing. And again, here the blessing is his presence. Again, this feeling of distance from the Lord where they wouldn't have that peace that passes all understanding. They wouldn't have that comfort that comes in the middle of a storm. They wouldn't have the Lord guiding them in the way that he has been. But yet God was still going to provide his promise to them but if it was me, church, and these, I, I hope it's me. Sometimes I, I, I read the story of the Israelites, and I think, man, these losers, they're always getting it wrong. But sometimes I think, look, if I was in this place, like, would I want the Lord's, his presence, more than any possession, more than any place that he's even promised? Would I want his presence more? But we see that God is going to remove some of that blessing, which was his presence. But then we also see this right here, and this is still so good. We see that even when you're under the Lord's discipline, if you are one of his children, we see that he still gives grace and mercy and his love. Church, every time. Look, I don't know about you, okay, for those of you who are parents, where are my parents at? Raise your hand if you're a parent in here or maybe a grandparent. You have some form of a child in relationship to you, okay? Um, I don't know about you guys, but we discipline our kids 
in our house. And in fact, if you're going to have kids one day, I want to challenge you that you would also discipline your kids. Don't just give them whatever they want. I know we live in this Amazon Prime, Netflix world where they don't have to wait a week or next season for the next episode to come out and get whatever they want. Forget about that, okay? You discipline your your children, put up good boundaries and guardrails for them. And so we discipline our children, right? And one of the things that we used to do, and we don't do it as much now that they're a little bit older, but when they were younger, there would be a song that we would sing them whenever we would discipline them or correct them. And we did that not because, again, we wanted to, um, to be cheesy parents, and maybe it was a little bit cheesy, but anytime like, we would maybe discipline them or correct them, sometimes it was often met with complaining or why you're doing this or why can't I do whatever it is I want to do. So we would sing the song to them. We would sing, we're not trying to hurt you. We're only trying to help you because we love you. We're going to keep trying to help you. Boop. Okay. Because even when we were, thank you for that. So people have complained about my singing before, but okay. All right. Anyway, so like, so we would, so we would sing that song because we wanted them to know that there's no one, no other person in this universe that loves them more than we do. And even in our discipline, look, we, we do love them. We want what's best for them. Even in our disciplining of them, man, we would speak the truth in love. We would speak truth and grace to them. We would tell them, look, man, this is not who you were created to be. This is who God says you are. Like, we would try to speak the truth and love them because we're not trying to hurt them. We're only trying to help them even when we're disciplining them. And just so you know, we're, we're not crazy. We get this from God's word. Listen to what it says here in Hebrews chapter 12. The author of Hebrews in the New Testament says this about when God actually disciplines his children. He says this in chapter 12, verse 3. He says, Consider him who endured from such sinners hostility against him, talking about Christ, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? He says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Church, when you are under the discipline of the Lord, he's not trying to hurt you. He's only trying to help you. Because he loves you more than anyone else in this universe. The the God of all creation loves his children. So even if you find yourself in a place of discipline right now, man, God wants to meet you with his grace and his mercy and his love. Come on, are you in the right place? And listen to how the passage continues here in verse 8. It says, whenever Moses went up to the tent... It says, all the people, okay, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. And when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak with Moses. 
And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Thus the Lord would speak to his servant Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Second question for your reality check I want to give you today. Do you have the right perspective? Come on, are you seeing the world right now with the right perspective? Yo, here we see that the people are mourning, again, rightfully so. They had disobeyed the Lord, turned their backs on him. And so here they are grieving over their sin, and they're actually repentant. Come on, remember back in chapter 32, they had been dismissing Moses. They had been dismissing the Lord. But here right now, we see a complete 180 in their attitude. In fact, it says when Moses would walk by, it says the people were rising up. And again, before, they were rebelling against Moses. But now they're rising up to say, you know what, the, the person that the Lord has put in charge to lead us, like we're going to honor him and we're showing our respects toward him. They've had a complete 180 in their attitude. And this shows that they had this perspective change where they are right now, recognizing Moses as their leader that God had established for them. But then seeing the cloud, which represents the presence of the Lord, it caused the people to, yes, rise up, literally direct their attention to the Lord and to bow down. Do you guys remember a few weeks ago we talked about how there's several different words that our English Bibles translate as the word worship that helps us understand this bigger picture of what worship looks like? And here in this passage, when it says that people rose up in verse 10 and they worshiped, the word there in the original language means that they bow down. Man, do you see the picture of the people who had the wrong perspective before. Like, we're going to worship this idol. This idol is going to be our God. But now, they've gotten up, turned their attention back to the Lord. They're saying, God, we chose what we wanted now instead of what we wanted even needed the most. And God, what we want, even need the most, it's you. They rose up, turned their attention to the Lord, and said they bowed down in worship. Do you have the right perspective right now? Look, maybe you're in a place of discipline. Maybe you're not. But do you have the right perspective? Are you seeing the world in the right way? Look, for the person who hasn't yet trusted in Jesus, maybe you see the world right now as this broken place where there is no hope. Maybe you've seen the world right now as this broken place where it seems like, man, nothing's ever going to change. But just like we see here, look, God has a design and even a purpose for his people. His purpose is that those that he created, those that he created on purpose would turn their hearts to him and they would worship him. That their life story would indeed be for his glory. That is part of the purpose why we're even created. And again, when we find ourselves living in our purpose, it actually produces freedom. But here's the bad news. The bad news is that all of us are born this problem of sin. Sin is what causes the brokenness in us and around us. Man, sin is what causes us to keep turning back to all these little G-gods, thinking that they are going to fix the brokenness in us. Sin is what causes us to keep picking those things up, looking at those things, seeing if they're going to cause fulfillment in us, but they're only leaving us feel more empty, more broken, further away from what we are created to do. Look, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Look, there is a cost There's a cost to this sin problem that we are all born with. 
the wages of sin is death. And yes, it is the death that every one of us is going to experience. But it's talking about something deeper than that, that there is a spiritual death. Where if you don't do something about that sin problem, if the cost isn't paid, you're going to spend eternity apart from God where his wrath is poured out on unrepentant sinners. But are you ready for the good news? The good news is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That the Lord would send a deliverer to us, a savior to us. And this Jesus who is God, he would die on the cross to pay the price for our sins. And yes, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And this Jesus didn't just die on the cross and take the place for us to pay the price for our sins, but he bodily rose from the dead. He conquered sin and death and the grave, showing us an eternal hope, a hope that will never disappear. It will never dissipate. In fact, it's only through Jesus that this real life, this life to the full that so many of us spend our lives searching for is found. And what must you do with this good news? Church, it is so simple. You repent, you believe, and you receive the gospel. Come on, is that you today? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Because you don't have to wait another minute to turn your life to the one where fulfillment of life is found in Christ. And for the believer in the room, look, I've heard it said that one of the most consistent things that we can do is to repent and believe. Repentance and faith. And you see it here with the people. They are mourning. They are repentant. And again, they're literally turning back to the Lord. Come on, church. The Lord never grows tired of his people turning back to him. So right now, okay, right now, do you believe? Do you believe the gospel? It is our belief that determines behavior. It's even our belief that drives our perspective. Come on, is your belief in Christ governing every other aspect of your life, or is the government determining your perspective on life right now? Grandparents in the room, is your perspective right now driven by other retirees, Letting them determine what your life looks like in this season? Or is your life right now driven by the risen Savior? Look, if you're not dead, God is not done with you. There's still more he wants to do in you and through you. Still more people that you can share the gospel with and the good news of our Lord. Come on, students in the room. Is your belief in Christ and God's word, is it filtering every other perspective? Or is your perspective right now being filtered by looking down at your phone? Are you letting that determine your perspective and how you see the world? Maybe it's time to, come on, look up, get up, redirect your attention back to the Lord and even bow down every perspective to his. Come on, will you let Christ and his word be the filter that you look at the most? Come on, do you have the right perspective. Then last question I want to give you today for a reality check. Are you focused on the right person? Come on, in this season that you're in right now, are you actually focused on the right person or are you just focused on yourself? Listen how the rest of the story continues here in verse 13. I'm going to read verse 13 down through verse 17. It says, now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, Moses says, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. 
And the Lord said to Moses, and he said, my presence will not go, or my presence will go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. But listen to what Moses said to the Lord. The Lord says, look, Moses, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to give you rest, not these people. My presence is not going to go with them. But listen to Moses' response to that. He said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other nation, every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And in verse 18, Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness, the Lord said, pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by, by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not see. Two quick things I want to show you here. As Moses is focused on the right person, first of all, Moses passionately prayed for others. He passionately prayed for others. Church, think about this, okay? I know sometimes when we maybe hear these passages in the Bible, and especially when it says that all the people uh, turned their attention to the Lord, they, they got up, turned their attention to the Lord, and they bowed down, they worshiped him. Sometimes we may think that there's a, maybe a modest-sized crowd like there is today, but conservative theologians and even historians estimate that in this crowd of people, there's probably at least 2 million Hebrew people that left Egypt and were following Moses, about 2 million Hebrew people, and there, there were some Egyptians who left there and said, hey, we don't want anything to do with them. We're going to follow this Moses and see what this God is all about. And then more than likely, Egypt itself had other slaves from other nations that the Lord had rescued out of Egypt. In fact, the Bible says it was a mixed multitude of people that came of, out of Egypt. But estimates show about 2 million people all rose up, turned their attention to the Lord, and they were bowing down to worship him. Now, out of that two million people, I wonder how many of them Moses knew really well. I mean, he had some family there. There were some leaders of the nation that he probably knew really well. But there were people who literally, the chapter before, were like, hey, we don't know about this Moses guy. Some people were probably even enemies of his that were in this crowd. Some people were literally just going through the motions who were in this crowd. Some people who would continue to try to stop what God was doing in this crowd. And what does Moses do? Does he only pray for the people that he cares the most about? Does he pray for all the people, that all the people will get to experience the presence of the Lord? When it comes to your prayers, okay, when it comes to what you're praying right now, are you just focused on you? Or are you praying for others? You know, in the New Testament, Jesus would say this, and tell me this isn't a picture of what Moses did here that was in this that was done 1,500 years later. Jesus himself would even say, look, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor 
and hate your enemy. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies and even pray for those who persecute you. And then the Apostle Paul would write this in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And I don't, I don't have this verse for you on the screen, but this is a verse I think we all need to write down and have in our back pocket for this election season in our country. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, the Apostle Paul would say, First of all then, I urge that supplications and prayer and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people. And then he says this, for kings and all those who are in high positions, which means presidents, which means governors, which means senators and Congress people and mayors and locally elected officials, all those who are in high positions, we are to pray for them, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. He says this is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires that all people be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Moses passionately prayed for others. So in your prayer life right now, is it just about you? Look, there's nothing wrong with praying for the needs that you have. There's nothing wrong with praying for the very desires that you have, but are you actually praying for others, man, those that are far from God? Those who are in a moment where they desperately need the Lord, even those that you might even consider to be an enemy. Are you praying for them? And we see that Moses also passionately prayed to see God's glory. And look, God said, look, I can't show you all of it because it would literally blow your mind, Moses. He might have exploded if God would have showed them all of his glory because we can't contain the fullness of God. We can't fully understand who God is. But it's so good to know the things that he has revealed to us. And even here as Moses prayed, God, show me your glory. What Moses was ultimately saying, look, look, God, I want to bow down my life to you. Every area of my life, every perspective, I want to be in the place that you are. Lord, I want to be focused on you more than anything. Your kingdom come, your will be done. I want to see your glory happen, yes, in my life, but also all around me. So even right now, church, come on, in your prayer life, what is it that you're focused on? Are you passionately praying for others? Are you passionately praying that you would see God's glory, his presence, manifest itself in you, and even around you. And then as our worship team comes back to to the stage, I just want to ask you again, look, how in the world did you get to where you are? How did you get here? Come on, are you in the right place? Do you have the right perspective? And are you focused on the right person? I was really captivated this week as I was looking back over this message and how the people in front of their little tent doors how they saw Moses going down to have this encounter with the Lord. And it says the people rose up. And as Moses is going down to the place where this tent of meeting, how their attention turned back to God. And it said they rose up, they turned their attention to the Lord, and then they worshiped him. They bowed down their lives to him in front of their tent doors. So I thought we might close the sermon today a little bit different than we usually do. And I'm going to have you make your seat where you are a little tent door, okay? I'm going to lead you just in a short time of prayer. And I'm going to lead you through a couple things to pray for. And, like, if you're able, like, I want you to kneel down in front of your seat. If you're not able, hey, at least, like, do this little bow down posture right here. And I'm going to lead you in a couple of prayer prompts right now so we can all, in many ways, rise up, turn our attention back to the Lord, 
but bow down our lives to him. So I want you to go and do that right now. If you're able, I would love it if you kneel down. If not, man, would you just bow down like before the Lord right now? And I'm going to do the same thing as well. And right where you are, church, like I just want to move into this time of prayer. I just want you to take a moment, okay? And first of all, I just want you to pray and just ask the Lord, God, right now, am I in the right place? Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he is the one who will direct your paths. So would you ask the Lord, God, am I in the right place? Whether it comes to your career, man, your relationships, spiritually. And would you say, God, help me to trust in you with all my heart. God, direct my path right now. Lord, I need you to. And in church, would you pray for the right perspective? Jesus would say in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, he would say, look, this is the kingdom of God, that people would repent and believe in the gospel. Come on, so right now today, is that you? Have you believed in the gospel? If you haven't trusted in Jesus yet as the Lord and leader of your life, man, you're ready to. You know he's been calling you. You know he's been drawing you. Like you've heard this message about how the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, and you know it's for you. Right there where you are today, would you pray, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I believe that you are Lord. You're the only one who can save me. Jesus, I want to follow you. And then for the believer in the room, right now, would you pray, God, help me to have the right perspective. And maybe that's something right now you confess something to the Lord. There's a forgiveness that needs to happen in your life. Maybe right now you need to pray for God to give you the courage to go to someone that you have offended and ask for their forgiveness. But what is it that you need to gain the right perspective on right now? Ask the Lord to help you, show you what you need to repent, but also to believe the gospel and do what Jesus has called you to do. And then right now, would you focus on the right people? Come on, are you focused on the right people? Would you intercede for somebody right now? And somebody who's far from God, Someone you know who desperately needs the Lord's help, whether that's physically, financially, spiritually. Maybe it's someone that you just popped in your mind as we've been talking. Would you pray for that person right now? And would you intercede on behalf of others? Maybe it's just our nation. Come on, we know that our nation needs prayer right now. Would you take time and pray for those who are in government that God would direct their hearts that his will would be done? Heavenly Father, would you break our hearts for what breaks yours? God, help us to have the right perspective. Lord, you have not lost control of this world. You are still in complete and total control. You are the leader of it, God. You are the creator of it. And Lord, what you have said will come to pass. What you have said, it will be accomplished. So help us, Lord, to have the right perspective. God, help us to see if we're in the right place, Lord, even right now. God, is there a place that we should be? God, is there something that we should be doing that we have not? God, we have ignored you. We've turned to other gods. God, would you course correct us right now? Lead us to the place, Lord, where your spirit is, where your spirit is leading us. God, lead us to a place, Lord, where we will submit our lives again to you and again in repentance and faith, believing the gospel in wherever it is that you have us. Lord, help us to focus on the right person. Lord, the right person is you. Lord, show us your glory. 
God, show us the power of your presence in our lives. God, may it be that you work the power of your spirit and your word in us and through us. God, may we see it in our homes, in our church, in our neighborhoods. God, we want to be focused on you. But Lord, would you help us, Lord, to intercede on behalf of others? God, would this be a season of great harvest where you draw all people to yourself, where you draw so many people to yourself? God, may this be a season where so many people surrender and trust you as Lord. God, we do trust you, and we love you in Christ's name.